have a lot to get through, church. So we need to get started right away. I'm going to start with my jump off first, and then we're going to pray. Then we're going to get into it. Are you excited? Here we go. Okay. So I am pulling out of Mark chapter 2, verses 23 and 28. And it says, and it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry, how they entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Let's pray real quick. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we worship you. It is such a gift and a blessing and a privilege to be in your presence this morning. And so God, I pray for strength. I pray that your truth would just overflow, Lord, that you would even right now purify our hearts, God, to receive this good word that you have for us. And Lord, in all things, would you be exalted? Would your name be lifted high? Would you get all the glory, Jesus? And would you do that in this place right now? And everyone who's in agreement said, amen. All right, church. So today we get to talk about rest and Sabbath. Somebody say rest rest. Even just the connotation of rest is just this good, it's like peace and relaxation. It's like being on that beach in the Bahamas with Soraya. It's just like, right? It's like leaving all the problems in the rearview mirror and just getting to be in this place of just utter rest and utter peace. And we know from our reading this week that the Sabbath, that day of rest, is a pretty big deal to God. And so if we just take a step back as we begin, right? There is so much truth in God's word. And I feel like as we go through scripture, we have our Old Testament that gives us the truths in types and examples. And then we have our New Testament. That's the veil has been removed and we can really see clearly exactly what the Lord is saying to us, exactly what God has for us, right? And so I know you and I exist in a world where there are unbelievers who think of our God as merciless and cruel and exacting, but we know that's not the God we serve, amen? That the nature of our God is goodness and it is love, that he demonstrates his love for us every single day. And so when we get to a place in scripture that might seem to run counter to what we understand our God of love being and doing, who knows it's okay to give a pause and say, Holy Spirit, what's happening here? Could you explain to me exactly what it is you want me to see? Because I don't quite get it. So that was a moment for me this week in Numbers 15, and I'm going to be starting in verse 1. Now, this is after the children of Israel have rejected the invitation of God to enter into their promised land, and they're now wandering through the desert for 40 years. It's on this journey. Now, while the sons of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation, and they put him in custody because it had not been declared what should be done to him. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, this man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones until he died, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, I don't know about you, but my first thought when I hear that is like, Jesus, that seems a little harsh. It's a little, just a little intense. What's the big deal? We're just gathering a couple sticks. Like what is, what's the, why is this a, a deed or an action worthy of death? Right? What is the big deal? So if it seems a little bit harsh to you, if you hear that and it's like, wow, that's pretty intense. That's because it is, right? And this is a perfect picture of what living under the law is like right? The law is perfect. It's exacting. It judges without leniency. It is perfect. And the law says the soul that sins must die. So breaking the law is sin, right? That's really crystal clear for our Old Testament brothers and sisters, right? There is, there is, no, there is no mercy in how the law offers and delivers judgment. But can anybody praise God for a savior? Can anybody praise God for a savior, you guys? <laughs> Where we no longer live under the rules and requirements of the law, but the Lord fulfills the law through us, right? Not that we don't fulfill the law. We fulfill it perfectly because Jesus is the one fulfilling the law through us. Amen? I'm excited about that. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm excited about that. Now, church, this is the other piece where I say, don't shy away from the parts of scripture. I was having this moment with the Lord this week, and I really feel like the devil tries to make the Bible this puzzle, this really mysterious thing that nobody can understand, and so just shy away from really digging deep in there. Like, when we get to those moments where we need clarification, that's every moment, frankly, that we're in the Word, and that is the purpose of the Holy Spirit, being able to show us, reveal to us, deliver to us the truths of God's word himself. So I want us to dig a little bit deeper and see a little bit more about what's going on in this moment. So the children of Israel had been given really clear instructions that on the Sabbath, they are to do no work. Someone say no work. On the Sabbath day, they are to do no work. This is the fourth commandment. I don't know if you knew this. In the Ten Commandments, this is number four. And if it's number four, that means it comes before things like stealing, things like killing, committing murder, things like having an affair or sleeping with somebody else's spouse. God prioritizes rest before he talks about those other things. Is that kind of amazing to you? The idea that God is saying, first and foremost, not that all those things are not extremely important, but when God is delivering his own law, he puts rest close to the top. And I feel like sometimes we treat it as just, you know, if I get to it, I'll get to it. But for God, he's like, no, this is a big deal, right? He prioritizes his rest. Sabbath, that word, the roots of it literally mean um, rest. Rest is, I'm always checking my shirt because I don't know if you knew this. A few weeks ago, my fly was down as I was worshiping. Did you guys know this? So my fly was down. I was over here and some kind soul, somebody who loves me, all right, in this congregation, went up and was like, Victoria. And I was like, na, 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 praise God from whom all blessings flow. Like, just as I, so now forgive me if I'm like extra careful. Praise God for underwear. That's all I'm saying. Um, so the Sabbath, right? The root of that word literally means rest. 
It literally means in the, if you looked that up, it literally means to cease and desist from labor, right? So if you can't work one day a week, right, that means that everything that needs to be done that day, God has to do, right? If you are forbidden from working on a specific day, that means everything that needs to be accomplished on that day needs to be accomplished by God. So when gathering wood on that Sabbath, that guy is demonstrating that, number one, either he doesn't trust God to provide for him on that day and or what God has done for him on that day is not sufficient. It's not enough. Now, church, I feel like it's not just for stick guy. Sometimes it's for us as well, right? Now, I can even imagine, right? He's got friends coming over to watch the game later that night, and he's looking at his wood supply, and it's getting low, and he's thinking, I cannot risk all my homies coming over, and there being no wood. I can't risk it. So I'm just going to go into the desert really fast, just grab a couple pieces of wood. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. And church, I feel like when we choose to rely on our own works, just like this guy did, we choose death. And when the Lord said that to me, I, again, I was like, Jesus, that seems a little harsh. That seems like a pretty bold statement. I don't know if I should be saying that. But it's, it's anytime we choose, God's, we choose our own way over God's way, right? We choose death. Anytime we try to do things based on our own estimation of the situation, it always ends up in destruction. And I want you to see this. I mean, we're not, if you do not keep the Sabbath, nobody's bringing you outside the church doors and gonna throw stones at you. Like that is clearly not going to happen. But when we choose to forsake the divine rest that has been appointed for us, we choose to watch our health, our relationships, our destiny. We choose to watch those things die a slow and brutal death. And I want you to see this. I'm jumping now to Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to be in verses 14 to 19. And then I'm going to continue into the next chapter, verses 1 and then verses 3. I love, 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 love this portion of scripture because Paul is giving the coroner's report as to what happened to their forefathers, their Jewish forefathers, what happened to them and why they were unable to enter into their promised land. Everyone above the age of 20, except the two spies Pastor Mark told us about last week, except those two spies who were believing Joshua and Caleb, everyone above the age of 20 passed away in the wilderness. None of them were able to enter in. So Paul in chapter 3, starting up in verse 14, he starts by saying, For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end, while it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Someone say his rest. But those who were disobedient. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. And then skipping verse 2 into verse 3, it says, For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. I have to say that last line again because it's just so good. The works were finished 
from the foundation of the world. That guy picking up wood in the wilderness didn't know that the work of supplying him firewood that day was finished from the foundation of the world. The children of Israel, when they peeked into the promised land, saw the giants and said, oh, no, no, that's too much for us, didn't know that the work of rooting them out of the promised land, rooting those giants off of their land had been finished from the foundation of the world. Paul is saying the children of Israel lost a generation because they refused to believe that the work, their deliverance work, their entrance work of getting them into that promised land was finished. They made an estimation based on their own power and ability, but those two spies, right? The two spies said, I serve a good God, and if my good God could break the chains of slavery off of my back, if you could lead me out of captivity with silver and gold, if you could split the Red Sea in two, if you could bury the mightiest armed force on the face of the earth at that time under those waves, if he can do that, if he can feed me bread from heaven and water from rocks, then you better believe that same God can bring me into my promised land. Hallelujah. Something else that just so rocked me as I was preparing this today, that the promised land for the children of Israel was a physical place. But the promised land for us, right, is his rest. I don't know if you, if you heard it when I was reading this passage of scripture. God didn't say, they will not enter my land. It said, they will not enter my rest. As I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Right? That rest for God is his promised land for us. Where the works are finished. Where we can say, God, you have this. You can do this so I can rest. If we rewind back to Hebrews chapter 4 in that verse 1, it sounded like this. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. And this is amazing to me because this is the only place, the only place in the New Testament that God instructs his believers to fear. It's the only place not to be afraid of the giants. His word doesn't even say to be afraid of his wrath because his wrath has been extinguished on the body of Jesus Christ on the cross. It says to be afraid of coming short of his rest. It's because when, you know, stick guy forfeited the Sabbath rest, when the children of Israel refused their land of rest, right? That unbelief and that working, 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 trying, trying, striving, striving, it led to death. And I don't just believe, I mean, yes, it's a physical rest 100%. I think it's so important for us to have a physical day of rest during the week that we can designate as a time of refreshment in the presence of God. And I also believe that there is an emotional rest that God has for us, amen, where we are not based on the situations and circumstances happening in the world, right, that we can be anchored to the equilibrium of God in his rest, a mental rest when we're not plagued with worries and anxieties and to-do lists, but the rest that knows that God is taking care of this, and so I'm allowed to rest. Something else that I, I really want you guys to see that the Lord showed me again with our friend who's gathering sticks in the wilderness, right? That that same word is used for tree, which makes sense, same word. 
But it's also the same word that's used in the prophecies concerning our Messiah, Jesus, right? That he would take our curse by hanging on a tree or a cross, right? So gathering wood isn't just a picture of, I don't rely on God. I can't trust God to do this for me. It is a picture of saying, Jesus, your sacrifice for me was not enough. I need to supply my own cross. I need to supply my own sacrifice. I need to figure this out on my own. We may not say that out loud, but church, I'm telling you, we all do it when we refuse to accept the free gift of righteousness when we fail and stay in our guilt and shame, or we depend on our good works, right? Our Bible reading, our charitable giving, our volunteering, when we rely on that to earn points with God as a way to cover our mistakes. But Jesus did not provide a covering for our mistakes and for our sin. He took them away. Someone say, took them away. He took them away. He provided a taking away, which means in him, we are deserving of the goodness and favor of God all of the time, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did, taking our place on the cross. That was our cross, but Jesus took our place. He took our place, church. So God does not see us in our sin and our mistakes and our shame. He sees us in Christ's perfection all of the time. And the Bible says that the goodness of God leads to repentance. His goodness causes us to repent, to turn the other way, to make a change, right? When we start receiving the gift of his righteousness now, he overcomes sin through us. He overcomes the destructive habits. He overcomes the strongholds through us, right? He will do the work when we stop trying to do it on our own. Amen? So there was another Sabbath that we had the opportunity to read about this week. And I started our time together in chapter 2 of Mark. So we're going to go to chapter 3 of Mark. This is the very next thing that we see Jesus doing, right? He's about to enter a synagogue. We're starting in Mark chapter 3, verse 1. And it sounds like this. He, Jesus, entered again into a synagogue. And a man was there whose hand was withered. They, the keepers of the law, were watching him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And then he said to them, the keepers of the law, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath to save life or to kill? But they, the Pharisees, they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their hearts. Literally in the Greek, it's a calloused heart. A heart that's just covered in calluses. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees were ecstatic that that man was healed and gave glory to, glory to God. Oh. Oh, no. Went out immediately and began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. My mistake. Imagine somebody gets healed in this church service and all of us are thrilled, but there's one guy in the back that's just like, no, no. So angry. I'm so angry. That was, imagine that. That's the, that's the course that's following Jesus everywhere he goes, following him around. Now, the keepers of the law were standing there, giving him stink eye, right? Because they were expecting to see what happened in the Old Testament with that stick guy, right? They were waiting for that to happen in this moment. 
They were waiting for judgment, right? They were waiting for the eventual consequences of breaking the Sabbath. But what they didn't know that the person who gave the Sabbath was the one standing in front of them. And frankly, church, he gives life. Amen? He gives life. Can somebody say he gives life? He gives life. Jesus can't even help giving life. You know what I'm saying? Don't invite Jesus to a funeral. He will break it up, okay? Everybody's getting healed at that funeral. Sorry. Love our Jesus. He's amazing. Ooh, oh. I feel like I'm in the light. Thank you. <laughs> now, Paul says it perfectly in his letter to the Corinthians, right? That the law kills. The letter of the law kills. But it's the spirit, hallelujah, who gives life. I feel like there's a Southern, like, Baptist preacher deep inside me. Is anybody else getting that? I don't know where it came from. I was born at the Elliott in Manchester. I don't know why there's, like... <laughs> like a 50 Southern pastor just residing inside. I don't know where that came from. Um, <laughs> it is for us, church, to rest on the Sabbath. It's for God to work. I don't know if you do this. If you do a count of all the miracles that Jesus performed, a count of all the miracles that Jesus performs, right? Most of them, the majority of them, happen on the Sabbath. I'm going to let that sit. A majority of his miracles happen on the Sabbath. What does that mean? That when we're resting, God is working. Right? When God, when we say, no, I, I'm, I'm good, I'm going to do the work, Daddy God is like, okay. Right? But when we say, God, I'm going to rest on this one, I'm going to rest, he says, let's have at it. Right? Let's do this. The other thing that I have to, I have to say in this passage is that we see at the end, right, the Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring as to how they might destroy him. The devil is actively scheming for ways that he might destroy us. And I think one of his favorite tactics is to keep us from rest because he's keeping us from the promise, right? We just saw the Bible say, right, the word of God say, I swore in my wrath they would not enter my rest. That rest is that promise. So if the devil can keep us from rest... He can keep us from the promise, right? And so it was a physical land for the people of Israel, but we know that for us, it might be that promotion. It might be that healing, right? It might be that breakthrough, that that is what God has for us and that it's found in his rest. Our promised church is in his rest. Amen. So at this point in the message, you're thinking easier said than done, right? It is so easy for all of us, the speaker included, the speaker especially, to believe if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. That this might be fine to hear, but after you leave today, right, you have kids to raise, a house to maintain, a business to run. There are real demands in your life. There are real things that people are counting on you for. I believe that God gave us those amazing responsibilities as a gift of service to him. Right? Adam in the garden was not given the instructions to sit and do nothing. He was given the instructions to tend the garden, but he tended the garden in rest, in a spirit of rest, that literally the presence of God, the presence of peace would be around in that garden all the time, protecting him, helping him, strengthening him. He would sit and all the animals would come to him, right? That he wouldn't go out like looking under a bush trying to find things, that literally God would bring his responsibilities to him and he would perform his duty as a sacred service. I'm wondering if that's the spirit that we could step into. Instead of I need to, I must, God has already given this as a free gift to me. 
really, right? The privilege, the privilege, excuse me, that we have of being in family, of having jobs that we like or like less, right? That we have these as an act of service to God. And if God is the one who's giving it to us as a service, then we have the opportunity to rely on him to do the work. My favorite thing to say is that if God wants the credit, let him do the work. Let him do the work. He wants to do the work. We have so many pictures of Jesus in the upper room washing his disciples' feet. He's doing and performing a service for us all the time. But sometimes I think we get so bogged down in thinking if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. That we we push Jesus to the side when he's trying to perform that service through us in a place of peace, a place of hope, and a place of rest. I'm wondering if we can believe him at his word that says that the work was finished from the foundation of the earth. That the thing that needs to get done, there is a supernatural dispensation to get it done exactly when it needs to get done. And that our responsibility is to receive that supernatural power to do every menial task in our life. Right? Can we embrace the rest? And this is huge too, right? That rest was not free. Our salvation was not free. It's like somebody worked a year and a half to buy you the car of your dreams and you say, no, thank you. (laughs) You know that they worked, they gave, they sacrificed to give you a gift and you push it to the side. You would never do that. But Jesus gave the ultimate price, not just for our salvation, not just for our healing, not just for our financial provision, all those things too, but for our rest. And so it is the highest compliment we can pay him to receive the thing that he's purchased for us. Amen. I know when we get home today, again, that to-do list is going to be eight pages long. There's going to be so many things piling up, but I'm wondering if we can believe him at his word. Me too, me too. Can I believe him at his word when he says that the work was finished from the foundation of the earth? I think this is where I'm going to, I'm going to turn, I'm going to divide the room. Half of you are going to be with me. The other half are going to hate me. You won't talk to me after this. I'm about to say something. We're just, again, I've, it's been great. I've loved you very much. It's been great. Never going to speak again, but it's okay. It's okay. Can I propose? If the first thing that comes into our mind is, I know, I know, but I just don't have time for it. I just can't, I can't figure out the time for it. I think about the Sabbath a little bit like I think about the tithe, that if you don't have enough money to tithe, it's because you're not tithing. I'll amen myself, please. So if you don't have enough time to rest, it's because you're not doing the faith action of resting first, right? How many times does God say, believe it and then see it, believe it and then see it, believe it and then see it, tithe and then see the financial miracle, rest and then see the time to rest and the supernatural anointing on your time. So the thing that was supposed to take 14 hours takes four. The supernatural ability to manage your affairs. So what used to seem like this massive, massive problem, God drops the the God idea that resolves it in an instant. I'm wondering if we can trust him like that. God has created these mechanisms to release in our lives exactly what we need when we need it. 
And if we continue to trust our abilities, our own, our own estimation of the situation, we sound like those spies in the wilderness. We sound like those 10 that say, mm, based on what I'm, what I'm seeing and what I'm perceiving, there's no way this can be done. Instead of responding like his children and saying, if he said it, his word is good. And I can believe it. Right? I think we can live knowing that his rest has been already been purchased for us. That he has already done it supernaturally. His work was perfect, right? He did it and there's nothing left to be done. And I know you, Spirit of God-filled people, I can ask the worship team to come up whenever they're ready. Um, I know that you, Spirit of God-filled people, are not going to walk away from today thinking, Victoria said, I can sit around and do nothing all day long. That's the message. Sorry, honey, I can't, can't help you with that list, okay? It's my day of rest. I can't do anything. I'm sorry. Rest is not inactivity. Rest is spirit-directed activity. Can we say that together? Rest is not inactivity. Rest is spirit-directed activity. Right? Jesus asked that man in the synagogue to stretch out his hand, right? Our father might ask you to go to a training program or a school or to take certain steps, but who knows that without the healing power of God dropping on that man's hand in that moment, nothing's happening. That man can stretch out his hand all day long. Nothing's taking place, right? As children of God, we listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do, and we do it. We obey him, right? We take the steps he's saying to take. But we trust him to do the work. We know that he's doing the work, right? I've heard it said, right, that you, <coughs> excuse me, you uh, pray as if it depends on God. You work as if it depends on yourself. I don't quite believe that. That's not where I land. I believe you pray like it depends on God. You work like it depends on God. Because it all depends on God, amen? That if he doesn't do it, all your work is for naught. There's a lot of people striving. You work next to them, right? You sit in cubicles next to them. There's a lot of people working very hard and not accomplishing anything. But you, oh child of God, you highly favored, dearly beloved person, you take one step in faith and God rushes you with his supernatural strength and power. He overtakes you in that situation and he accomplishes the thing on your behalf for you. We're following his steps, but he's doing our work. Jesus himself says in John 15, 51, for apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. But I feel like sometimes we operate like I'm 90% I'm, I'm, I'm of the way there. I just need that last kind of lift, that last assist. And no, I'm saying that the problem is when we lose the weight by ourselves, when we close the deal by ourselves, when we accomplish that work by ourselves, we get the credit. But when we say, y'all, I was eating Cinnabons all day long, and yes, Jesus told me to do some stuff, and I was trying, but I wasn't always doing it all the time, but there was mercy for me, and he supernaturally did a work in my life. He gets all the credit. He gets all the credit. He gets all the credit. When we work but we depend on him and the work that we do is in line with his spirit, what he's instructing us and telling us and, to, and asking us to do, when that's the work that we're doing, we know that we didn't do that in our own strength. We know we didn't do that by ourselves. We know that he's getting all the glory all of the time. Amen. I think there are some people who would rather do it on their own, frankly, because they get to feel accomplished. They get to feel like they did something. They get to feel like, yeah, that was me. I made it happen. I'm the captain of my fate. 
I direct my own ship. But when you're a child of God, you have stepped into the supernatural relationship and responsibility to depend on God for everything in your life. Every moment, every day, he desires. He desires to work in, through, and for you. And we know that doesn't mean we don't do anything, but we allow his rest to propel us through our every need, every task, every demand, right? Not our striving, but his grace, amen. Welcome to Church Online. My name is Pastor Mark, and I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us in watching our services online. Maybe you can't be at our location today and you're watching this from home or on the road. We just want to say thank you for tuning in. And maybe you can't get to a physical location at Grace Capital Church, and this becomes part of your regular routine to do church live on your computer or on your device. We want to say, Invite some friends with you. Do church together. Life is so much better together and discovering what God has for us is meant to be done in community. Gather people together and enjoy these services for weeks to come. Thank you for watching.